Lord, you are great and greatly to be praised. Your name is above every other name that has ever been, that is, or ever will be. You, Lord, are the Lord of lords, the King of kings, the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, and the Prince of peace. You have brought your light into our darkness. And Father, we have gathered together this morning because it is Sunday, and we worship on Sundays because not only were you born of a baby, born as a baby and laid in a manger, born of a virgin, but you lived and you lived perfectly. You died on a cross to pay my penalty, to take my punishment, Lord, to take the punishment of the sins of the whole world, of whoever would believe in you, Lord, whosoever will. And Father, we are worshiping this morning because this is the morning that we remember that death could not hold you. The grave could not keep you. That you are alive from now until forevermore, seated at the right hand of the Father. And as we open your word, God, we want you and you alone to be our focus. Father, in spite of an unworthy and unable and feeble servant, Would you speak to us this morning? Spirit, would you move to encourage us, to push us forward, to give us endurance and faith and hope? God, would you challenge us and convict us? Father, would you make my words fall to the wayside so that you and you alone are the focus? So that you and you alone and your words are the only words heard? God, we need to hear from you this morning. We love you, Father. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to take them and turn with me to Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15. Just as we did earlier in a few moments, once you find your place, I will ask you to stand. But for now, be finding your place here in Romans chapter 15. At first, it may not seem like a very Christmassy message, but I want to encourage you to hang in there with us because Paul, towards the end of the passage we will read this morning, is going to reference Isaiah 11. And Isaiah 11 is a direct prophecy about Jesus being born and about the Christmas season. So bear with us because Christmas is in this passage. As you are finding your place, I would ask once again, out of reverence, For the public reading of God's holy word, if you are able, would you please stand? Following in the tradition of Ezra and many other examples set in the Old and New Testament, we will stand for the reading of our primary passage. There are other passages we will read. I will not ask you to stand for those, mainly because I just feel like you'd revolt at some point. So we are standing in honor of the word of the Lord. I will read for us. I encourage you to respond when we have finished. I'll say this is the word of the Lord. You can respond with a hearty thanks be to God. The word of the Lord in Romans 15, beginning in verse 5, says, May the the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God 
for his mercy. As it is written, therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again, it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come. Even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. This morning, there are several points that we will draw out of this passage. And as far as the structure of the message goes, we're going to follow the structure that Paul has in this passage. But the one thing that I hope that you will take away from this message today is that our God is a God of hope. I want us to have the final thought in our mind is verse 13, that God, the God of hope, would fill us with joy and peace in believing, and the Holy Spirit would allow us to abound in hope. This passage is about encouragement. This passage is about hope, because our God is a God of hope. And the story of Christmas is a story of hope. And so when we come to the Christmas season, we have to remember and understand that the whole reason that Jesus is born is to bring us hope and light And so we'll follow Paul as he describes this to the believers in Rome. There is hope for all who trust that Christ really was born of a virgin, that he really did live a perfect life and fulfill every letter of the law and promise and prophecy of the Old Testament, that he is, that he was, that he forever will be the Messiah, the Savior, the saving one, the one person in all of human history set aside to save us from our sins. And for all those who believe in that, there is hope and peace and joy that may abound in our lives, even in the midst of this terrible and atrocious and difficult and challenging year. And so what I want us to do is start the way that Paul starts. And it's a little bit backwards. I know most of the time when we hear a sermon, we understand that that sermon is probably going to give us a lot of doctrine and theology, and then there'll be some application. Paul actually flips that on its head here, and he starts with applying how we should live and then goes to the reason why we should live that way. So let's begin by looking at just the very first verse, verse 5 that we began with. May the God of endurance and encouragement. Folks, I don't want to move past that. Another word. Our God is a God of endurance. Folks, our God is a God of encouragement. And in a year where person after person after person after person has been infected with COVID, we've had church family members who have been severely disadvantaged because of the coronavirus. We've had family members of church members who have died. Thursday, there was a funeral to go to in Crestview, Florida, that I could not attend because there was another funeral happening right here in this sanctuary for a church member who passed away. And this had nothing to do with coronavirus. This was a beloved woman who was taken from us at the early age of 55 by cancer. At the same time, the sisters, Shirley McDonald and Mary Whitaker, had their brother pass away, and there's a funeral in Crestview. 
for whatever reason, this year, it is sorrow packed upon sorrow, even if it's not COVID related. But if we are believers in Christ, we have a God who is a God of endurance. He is a God who will help us and cause us to persevere through all hardship, through all trial, because we know there is light at the end of the tunnel. There is encouragement in God, in Christ Jesus. There is encouragement to keep going, to get up the next morning, because we have a God who will help us and cause us to endure even a Christmas season unlike what we have seen in our lifetime. Folks, I've just never seen or experienced in my lifetime a church, whether it's my home church, whether it's where I grew, my home church where I grew up in Pleasant Grove. And you gotta understand, I've been going to church since I was in my mother's womb. I've always gone to church. And I've just never been aware of a time when the church has been more disconnected and divided than it is right now because of all of these hardships. Because of all of the pain that everybody is suffering, because we've been disconnected from one another for so long, we begin to forget the benefit of the doubt. We begin to include no one else in our circle. We become introverts and we don't reach out to other people and other people have not been reaching out to us. And we say in our minds and in our hearts, well, they didn't check on me when such and such happened. They didn't do this when such and such happened. I'm not going to call them and check in on them. But now more than ever is the time to endure together, to live in harmony with one another, to grant us endurance and encouragement. God is working so that we might live in harmony and be connected and unified. The church universal and Bethany Baptist Church. We prayed for Gwen Burkett this morning because their family for over a year have been struggling through cancer and hardship and now broken shoulder, broken leg. This is just one story. Steve and Sherry Yelverton, Sherry still has an unknown disease that as long as she's taking prednisone is helping. But beyond that, they don't really know what's going on. Folks, we have people in this church who are in great grief and pain. People walking through this holiday season for the first time without their beloved matriarch, the woman who set the standard for faith for their whole family. Folks, this is a hard year. And for whatever reason, instead of being drawn closer together, we have become more suspect of one another. We have been divided and pulled away from one another. But God has called us to endure and encourage one another. To endure with the trials, with the tribulations. Listen, it's just like a race. You guys can tell I am by no means a runner. But I know the principles of running. And I know that when two people are running together and one is a few steps in front of the other, it drives them farther and faster. The person running in the front is like, oh, my goodness, they're only three steps behind me. I better get going. So their pace is picked up. And the person who's two or three steps behind is going, I'm going to catch them. I'm going to catch them. I'm going to get them. And whether you're even realizing it consciously or it's subconscious and subliminal, the fact that the two are running together, they will run faster. Their pace will trend faster. They will be able to go farther because the one in the front's going, he ain't slowing down. I ain't about to slow down. The one in the back's going, she ain't slowing down. I ain't about to slow down. They ain't stopping. I ain't stopping. And you keep going. This is the church. That we should push one another, encourage one another. We should look to one another to live in harmony and encourage one another to endure and press harder into one another. 
This is the, the, what, is, what Paul is saying. In the verses that lead to this, verses 1 through 4, he's describing how those who are stronger in the faith should bear with the ones who are weaker in the faith. And there should be harmony among the church. There's a reason that there should be harmony. It's because we have hope in Christ. Some of you may be NASCAR fans. I haven't really ever been much of a NASCAR fan. Most of the time when I watch NASCAR, it leads to a great nap. Because after the 17th or 27th left turn, I just, I, I got nothing left. But I do know the principles of NASCAR. When you have two cars that are so close together, they, they look like they might have been welded together. They draft off of one another and it pulls them faster because it creates a tunnel and it breaks off the wind. And then you have that car in the back that will swing out and go out around past them because they've built up that speed. The two cars travel faster together because of them drafting. Listen, it's it's supposed to be the same way in the church, that we should be in harmony with one another, that we should be knit together. We should be so close that it's like we're drafting off of one another so that we can further the kingdom of God. We should do all of this in one accord with Christ. I'm not saying we should all own Honda Accords. We should all do this together in unity in Christ. That together with one voice, we might glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look, not as I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to glorify God over here in my way and do my thing. I'm going to glorify God over here in my way and do my thing. I'm going to glorify God over here and do my way and my thing all across. But one voice together crying out to God. And folks, I just wonder, how many people have you genuinely been checking in on and loving? How many people who have fallen on hard times have you really surrounded with the love of Jesus? To make sure that they know that it doesn't matter that their marriage is on the rocks. It doesn't matter that divorces are still happening during COVID. That people are still losing jobs. That they know the church is here and we're going to live in harmony instead of retreating and saying, I'm going to be suspicious of them and I'm, I'm going to lose the benefit of the doubt. Folks, God has called us to live in harmony. If we're stronger in the faith, we should endure the fallings and failings of those weaker in the faith. We should live in harmony so that the gospel goes forward, so that people are cared for. But but why do we do all of these things? We do all these things because of verse 8. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness. Christ became a servant. We serve one another and live in harmony with one another because that's what our Savior did. That's what Christmas is all about. That he should have been born and welcomed into this world with all the pomp and circumstance that we could muster as a human race. With one voice glorifying God that he has finally sent us our saving one, our Messiah, our Redeemer, the one who would rescue us. He's finally here. But instead, we saw it coming not at all. He's laid in a feeding trough. He's ignored by except those who are most lowly. Our Christ, our Savior, served others and left His glory. And so we are called to love, support, and serve one another, especially when the times are as dark as they are now. It's not a time for us to pull apart, but grow together to love one another, to reach out. And even if it's just a text, even if it's just a phone call, even if it's just stopping by and dropping off some groceries, even if it's just bringing over a meal, even if it's just showing up and singing some Christmas carols from the yard. 
Folks, we got to do something to let people know they're not forgotten. To let them know that we love them, that we care for them, that we're here for them. That they can endure because we will endure with them. We have to do that because that's what our Savior showed us. That's how He lived. And then He does all of that to show God's truthfulness. To show that God is true. There is no set of coincidences or circumstances that could have led to Jesus fulfilling all of the promises to the patriarchs. All the way back to Adam and Eve promising that the serpent would strike his heel, but the serpent's head would be crushed. To Abraham, to Noah, to Isaac, to Jacob, to Joseph, to all of the patriarchs to know that every promise made to them about a Messiah, about a saving one, would be fulfilled in Jesus. And so Jesus is born as a servant to prove God is true. It's not a made-up story. It's not a fairy tale. We don't have hope because we got this really good story that makes us feel good inside. We have hope because God is true, because Christ is real, because he fulfilled every promise made to the patriarchs. And in order that we might be included, every time it says Gentiles, I want you to think you and me, you and me, up until Jesus Every Jew thought that God picked them and it was just about them. Every Jew thought that it was only about the nation of Israel. Every Jew thought that it was only about their people, their kin, their relatives. But Christ came to show us that it is everybody. That in his great mercy, it's for every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every ethnicity, Every socioeconomic status, every rich person, every poor person, every person in between. The people who you have so much in common with in this world and the people you have nothing in common with. It's for everyone. He came to prove that God is true and God's mission is true and God's mission is for everybody. That whosoever will can be saved. Anyone that calls on the name of the Lord can be saved. And then he begins to quote all of these Old Testament passages to prove that even in the Old Testament, just like Lee said in that video this morning, God's mission hasn't changed. From the beginning of time, God's mission has been for everyone. And so he goes and says, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name, pulling from Psalms and the prophets. Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. The Gentiles, you and I should rejoice with the Jews because Jesus came at Christmas. We're included. Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And then this passage here, he's pulling straight from the Advent passage. The promise, the prediction, the prophecy that the root of Jesse will come up. Even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. Understand that every Jew up until this is written, thought with all of their being that Jesus would be a Messiah who would rule the Gentiles. That there would be a nation established that would be the Jewish nation that would rule the world. And that the Gentiles would be under the thumb of the Messiah. That's what they think when they mean, when they see this passage that says, even 
to rule the Gentiles, to rule over the Gentiles, to establish a Jewish nation. And, you know, you and I are tempted to fall into this same type of mentality that the Lord wants the United States to be that kind of ruling the world type of nation, that we will force people to trust in Jesus at the end of a gun because we are the nation that God has established. And that's not what this passage is saying. For the Jews, not saying it for Babylon, not saying it for Rome, not saying it for the United States of America or Canada or any of the Arab nations or any of the European nations or any of the Asian nations. This is about a different nation, a different kingdom that everybody will be welcomed into who arises to rule the Gentiles as their king, as their president, as their monarch, as their leader, that we would be citizens under this great and merciful and kind king. Not that the Gentiles would be ruled over by the Jews, but we would be fellow citizens with the Jews. And none of that is possible if Jesus had not been born. This is the root of Jesse. Turn with me in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 11. Let's look at this specific passage that gives us such great hope. Listen, the Jews thought it was over. The Jews thought it was done for. The tree had been cut down and there's nothing left. I got this this bush that was over by my air conditioning unit and it had deep roots that grew down and around the uh, the septic tank. And so where the field lines were, and so we, we had some septic problems. We, there's a, a wonderful church member, Robbie Weaver. He has a great septic business. I'm I, he, just throwing that out there. All right. So he came by and he helped me out and he said, Nathan, you, you got to get rid of this root. And I thought the tree was done. I thought everything was over. I cut the bush down. I, but, you know, every time I'd cut my grass, I'd notice like a, a spring would come up. You know, you ever had one of those a little branch would pop up here, a little root would show up there, leaves would be covering the thing, and it looks like a bush again. You know, crepe myrtles, crepe myrtles, I, they, you can't get rid of them. Ain't nothing you could do. That, those things, you trim them down to nothing, they grow as a bush. You let them keep growing, they grow as a tree, and they just blossom out, and then they're all over your house. This, this is what happened. They think that it's over for the Jews. The tree has been cut down and there's no hope. But Isaiah prophesies and says, you think it's done. Satan thinks it's over and there's no hope. That nothing can save us, but there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. Jesse is David's father. Remember the promises that God made to David in 2 Samuel chapter 7. He said that the kingdom would not depart from your throne from now until eternity. And as Satan reads that passage, as the rest of the world reads that passage, they go, the tree has been locked down. David's line is done. And Isaiah says, don't count God out yet. There will be a shoot that will rise up from the stump and it will be the Messiah and a branch from his roots and that branch shall bear fruit and the spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. Remember when Jesus is baptized and he's dunked under the water in the Jordan River and as he comes up, the spirit descends on him like a dove and the spirit of the Lord rests upon the Messiah, our Jesus, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness, he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. 
and he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. And with the breath of his lips, he shall kill the wicked. Notice how Isaiah is perfectly interweaving both Jesus' first coming and then his second coming. This is not just about the time that Jesus will be born as a baby, but it's about Jesus coming back. And remember, he takes the sword of his mouth, and it's just a breath, and the battle is over. Revelation builds off of this. It is shown to John in a vision as he's looking into heaven and seeing what will come. The breath of his lips shall eradicate the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist. Faithfulness the belt of his loins. And the wolf shall dwell with the lamb. When our God says he is a God of peace, at Christ's return, he brings the kind of peace where a wolf will dwell with a lamb. Folks, as a church right now, we've got some wolves devouring lambs. As a church right now, we've got lambs being devoured as wolves because we're trying to live together as wolves and lambs without trusting in the peace that God and God alone can bring to us. And there will be one day when that peace comes and is fully realized. And the lion will lay down with the lamb. The wolf will dwell with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the young goat. The calf and the lion and the fattened calf will all just be sitting together. And a little child shall lead them. A little child will be born that will ultimately lead them. The cow and the bear will graze. Their young will lie down together. The lion will eat straw like an ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra. Now, let me just take a time out right here and have just a a brief aside, if you will, okay? This passage is not, not suggesting that we, in worship of our great Lord and God and Savior Jesus Christ, play with snakes, okay? This is a peace that is coming one day where it will be so safe that a child can put a hand over the hole of the cobra and be just fine. But it doesn't mean that we should be pulling out snakes and handling snakes here. There are some denominations that do that. Some people believe that way and, and, you know... More power to them. But I just want you all to know that the first day that we bring a box of snakes and we worship in the Lord by letting snakes crawl all over us, they're going to be a Nathan-sized hole, which will be a substantial hole, mind you. I am a larger gentleman, okay? What is more stereotypical than an overweight pastor in a festive sweater, all right? Listen, nothing more stereotypical than a Southern Baptist pastor in a festive sweater vest who's a little bit overweight. So there will be an overweight-sized hole in the nearest wall because we ain't playing with snakes in here, okay? Or if y'all want to do that, y'all can have it. I, woo, I ain't playing with no snakes. But as funny as it is, there is a time when the child can play over the cobra. Don't miss the illusion where the weaned child can put his hand on or in the adder's den. Do you know why? Because don't miss that when Satan is referred to in Scripture... Thematically throughout the Bible, Satan is referred to as a serpent. Even in the beginning with Genesis, he approaches Adam and Eve as a serpent. So it is not unintentional. It is not an accident or a coincidence that it's talking about a child being able to be playing with a poisonous, venomous, deadly, and dangerous snake that the poison and the venom cannot affect 
the child. This is a reference to what happens in Genesis, that the serpent will bite the heel of the Messiah, but the Messiah's heel will crush his head. And there will no longer be venom. And the children can play because the serpent has no power, has no death. There's no sting left in death. There's no hurt. There's no heartache because death will be defeated. Death will be defeated by death and cast away into an eternal lake of fire. And so children can play over the hole of the adder and the cobra with no fear because the sting has been removed. The child shall deliver them. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. The earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. Folks, this is not the only place that the root of Jesse, that the root of David is referenced. It's not just something in Isaiah that then Romans, Paul references back to Isaiah 11. This language is carried on even to the vision that Paul, that John has when he's writing in Revelation. He sees and hears with his own eyes and his own ears Jesus speaking and saying that he is the root of Jesse. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 22. One of my favorite chapters in all the Bible because it's the chapter that reminds us we win if we believe in Jesus. The story ends really well. 2020 can be the most hellacious year you've ever faced in your life, but we as believers win because of the hope of Jesus. He says, beginning in verse 12, Behold, I am coming soon. Soon and very soon, Lord Jesus, come. Bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end, says Jesus, the Messiah. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they might have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the sexually immoral and the murderers and the idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. Remember He establishes in all truthfulness the promises of the Old Testament, but they dwell in falsehood. Then Jesus says in verse 16, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you, John, to you, Bethany Baptist Church, to you, wherever you are around the world watching online, about these things for the churches. Jesus says, I am, very name of the Lord, I am the root of, and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. Jump down to verse 20. He who testifies to these things says, surely, certainly, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus, the root of David will return the bright and morning star. And I know that it has been a dark year and don't take for granted that tomorrow will be the winter solstice. Tomorrow is the day where the darkness is as dark and lasts as long as it will all year long. It's the shortest amount of daylight that we will have. It's also the day where for the first time in 800 years, Saturn and Jupiter will be closer together than they've ever been. 
This happens about every 20 years, but they don't get as close as what they do right now. And they form what we know as the Christmas star on the night of the longest, darkest darkness of the year. Listen, folks, I'm not going crazy. I'm not telling you Jesus is coming back tomorrow, but I'm telling you it's a sign from the Lord that he is the bright and morning star. That there is hope and there is light at the end of this crazy tunnel. That because of Jesus, because of the hope we have in him, even though tomorrow will be the longest and darkest night, don't miss that from that point forward, the day gets longer and brighter. That as dark as it gets, it's tomorrow night. The length of the darkness will be no longer this year than tomorrow night. But our God will cause the darkness to retreat because he is the bright and morning star. And Revelation writes and says, he who testifies to these things says, Jesus says, surely I am coming soon. The only rock solid guarantee I can give you is that it's sooner now than it was when we started this service. It's sooner now than it was a hundred years ago. It's closer every single day. I don't know when that day will be, but I know there will be a day when the bright and morning star dawns and peels apart the clouds and steps forward. And we'll hear trumpets from all over the world and nobody will understand what the sound will be. But the Jesus who came and was laid in a manger will come back and we will all shout and cry and sing and hit our knees and fall on our faces and say, God, we endured the hellacious year of 2020, but you're here now. So it was worth it. You're here now. So it's okay. You're here now because we've got hope and that's our only hope in life. Folks, you can't trust your job. You can't trust your marriage. You can't trust anything in this life other than Jesus. And he is coming back. May the God of endurance give us strength that we might abound in hope. That even as we face death, even as we face illness, even as we face cancer, even as we face divorce, even as we face people in renal failure begging for kidneys, people who are dying needing hearts, people who are in the hospitals day in and day out, people who work in the medical field more despaired, more depressed and in despair than they've ever been in their life. We have hope and it is our call to share that hope with one another don't let COVID-19 or 2020 as a year divide us and disconnect us as a church but may it pull the hope and the endurance and the encouragement that God has given us out of us like never before may now more than ever in our lives we shine the light of the gospel so that people can know that if you believe in Jesus There's hope. It doesn't have to be this way. It doesn't have to end. There's peace. That there's an everlasting Father who's not going to leave us drowning in sin. He's coming back. And folks, if, if you're listening online, if you're here this morning, and you don't believe that Jesus is coming back, you're hopeless. you got nothing to look forward to. And so I encourage you, give your life to Christ. Let Him be your Lord, your boss, your master. Let Him be your Savior. Trust that He died on a cross for you and you alone if that's what it took. And that He's coming back to get those who belong to Him, who believe in Him. I know it's past time. Let me close with this. Look with me once again at Romans 15, verse 13. May the God 
of hope fill you, Bethany, with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Whether this Christmas is the worst Christmas you've ever had, whether you've lost loved ones, whether you're waiting on test results, may you abound in hope in Jesus. Let's pray. Oh, God, we need you. We love you. Would you move among us? Prove to us once again that your mercy is more. It's more powerful than the darkness. It's more powerful than the tribulation and the trial. It's more powerful than our sin and our flesh. It's more powerful than our adversary, the devil. And in a heavy and burdensome year, Lord, would you be merciful to us that we may abound in the hope your gospel, of your good news, that this is not the end of the story, but that the end of the story is that those who believe in you win because we belong to you, that you made a way even for Gentiles, even for wretched, worthless sinners like me, Lord, you made a way. Help us to live in harmony and love one another, sacrificially, Lord, love one another, Support one another, encourage one another, and endure together. God, thank you for this church, the wonderful believers who call this church their home. Be with us. We love you, Lord. We ask you to move now during this time of invitation. We ask all this in the name of Jesus Christ.